Welcome to A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast, brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. My name is Jeff Milo, and Roddy Brown and Mary Graham Hunter will be joining me in just a minute. They literally just left the studio so that they could go back to their uh, respective service desks uh, and continue helping the public, of course. But they were here previously talking about librarians, but fictional librarians, librarians in movies and librarians in TV. And these are probably a lot of the librarians that we bring up in this episode are probably from uh, pieces of popular media that you have seen or seen many times already, including The Mummy and The Music Man uh, very prominently. But we bring up several more and we just kind of tick off some of the cliches that are present in these characters and how many of them are true. Often, not very many of them are true. But we're here to just riff on that. So if you have seen films like The Mummy or The Music Man, or if you're a big fan of Parks and Rec, or even Bob's Burgers, uh, you're going you're gonna to hear some of those characters discussed. And so here's my chat with Mary Graham Hunter, youth librarian, and Roddy Brown from the Circulation Department. There were text messages exchanged where I also, I initiated by saying, hey, I remembered that I was supposed to watch The Music Man really late at night last night. So I rented it on YouTube and watched it at two times speed. And Mary Graham so graciously said, like, don't even worry about it. That's I didn't more even... than I accomplished because <laughs> my plan was to watch The Mummy on Sunday and then something came up on my Sunday. And I was like, well, uh, I'll just have to like, walk of shame it into the podcast studio and be like hey guys i didn't do the assigned reading i'm not ready to fathom robert preston at two and a half times speed nor 76 trombones can i have your attention please attention please please understand that my poor fiance was just like what are you doing just like what is happening meanwhile shapoofy is playing at two times speed and i'm like shoveling breakfast into my mouth because i started it last night and then finished it was a comedy of errors and did it all for you listeners because (laughs) we're here to talk about librarians in movies mostly in movies and what I guess that says about the popular perception of what librarians, what librarians are, who are they? What do they think about? What They're usually pretty quiet. They're probably, you know, women uh, and they're usually meek or what have you. There's all these presumptions. It's so funny yeah. because most of the librarians that I know that we're talking about today are like not meek. And that's true. Us. Yeah, that's true. And I'm going to bring TV shows into it because oh, yeah. Jeff decided to bring up one of my also many passions. I say this every podcast. Oh my God. You're a I need well-rounded to... person, Rob. That's why you're on every episode. <laughs> Which is the Twilight Zone. Oh, so yes. So we are, we are definitely going to touch on that. Oh, man. Um, but... I think, should we start with The Mummy? The Mummy came up <laughs> tangentially once and we really... We're going to talk about Emotep, because why not? But uh, Evie, I think it's Evie Carnahan. Yes, Evelyn Carnahan. Evelyn Carnahan. 
So can I, as someone who has not seen this film, but has cultural osmosis some of it, give you what I know about this film? Please. 1920s question mark? Yes. Archaeologists question mark ish adventurers. Yes. Uh, not from Egypt, rolling into Egypt, presumably to remove cultural artifacts. Some, not entirely. Okay. Um, Evie Carnahan, extremely beautiful Rachel Weiss. Yes. Paired with extremely beautiful Brendan Fraser. Yes. At one point, she says, what's a place like me doing at a girl like this? Absolutely. Which, relatable. Best line. And then the most relatable part is where she very proudly says, I am a librarian. Yes. With lots of ellipses and gravitas. There is a, yes. and a like, pause. I need to, I know I need to see this film. The stars just did not align. That's fine. That's but fine. But also from what I know of it, I'm like, I'm proud for my professor to be represented by Rachel Weiss yelling that she's a librarian. Hell right. yeah. And it's not even yelling. It is a very, like, esteemed declaration. It's so much passion in the way she says it. I want to try to do it, but I know that I can't do it justice. But it's it's good. Um, The the idea is still there, though, that she is some sort of delicate flower Mm -hmm. and that the adventurer is going to bring excitement into her life or uh, awaken some sort of excitement that is inside of her latent and that she's on the surface demure Right, she gets to get out of the archives and go adventuring. Yes, right. And here's the thing about that, and this is one of the reasons why I love that movie, is that among several, <laughs> there is several. I'm going to try to keep it short, but she has this these passions and these this knowledge and things like that. So you have there's this this other team who are also at the dig site, which is supposed to be like this secret place that only shows once the sun rises upon it and things like that. I'm going to try to keep this brief. And they are made up of three American men and who I believe to be a British professor. And so they are led by this like very Weasley man and he's just kind of a mess, but he's important. And their perception of Evie is very like, what does she know? She's a woman. Like, uh, why are they following her? Meanwhile, her team, which is made up of her brother, Rick O'Connell, who's played by Brendan Fraser, and the warden of the jail, who is a complicated character, um, who should not be. That's another conversation. <laughs> anyway, you just see Rick o- O'Connell following her, like this besotted puppy, just asking her so many questions and just being genuinely interested in all of, because he knows that she's smart and he knows that she knows what she's talking about, even if pretty much no one else seems to think so. And I was just like, this is a romance I can get behind in an action movie. Romance hero for the ages, I dare yeah, say. He is very like attentive. He stills supplies for her to like chisel away at things while they're there he's like i got you this turns out he stole it from some guy the height of yes. romance. i know i was just like so that set a tone for me as a child he is very deferent he defers to her it's very interesting yeah yeah he's yeah. very much just like i'm here to be your muscle you know what you're doing <laughs> and i mean he's still smarmy he's still yeah you know, my, he has his moments he has his moments <laughs> their first meeting is not is it the first one yes it's the first one where evie um is on a ladder 
and there's because the, this is uh, a, a bit of a romp as well, oh, a, a bit of adventure, action, horror, uh, comedy patois. Um, <laughs> and I believe that Evie is, I hate to spoil this for you, on a large ladder mm-hmm. and she um, knocks down a giant, giant, like eight levels, 18 shelves high big old shelf and it knocks down another shelf oh, and another no. shelf and it becomes a domino effect that encircles her and she is covered in dust and just looks the like books are everywhere it's, i'm gonna have stress dreams about that it's because i think ramesses was next to ptolemy or something like that i've seen this movie too many t- i can't remember who exactly i'm just tossing names out there but yeah so she just tries to reach over to put it on the opposite shelf and then ends up just balancing on the ladder and then it's a mess. That scene stressed me out so much as a kid that when I would rewatch the movie, I would fast forward through that part. And That's my mom fair. thought it was hilarious because she's like, there's monsters and like murder. And she's like, but it's the books and shelves falling over yeah, that, that could get happen you. to me. I That was my exact reasoning. It felt too real. <laughs> too, it's too within the realm of possibility. <laughs> so it sounds to me like... She she has some of the cultural perceptions of like, okay, she's a bit clumsy, clearly, mm-hmm. and she's yes. knocking over all these bookshelves, but also like very smart, but yes. also hot. I feel like there, the, yes. the, like, there, the hot librarian is not something we're going to move library. away from. There is a 100% glasses on, hair up, glasses off, hair down yes. situation going on. Yes, As a glasses ha- wearer, I am personally offended by that. Yeah. Right, right. So they're, <laughs> exactly. So Every movie has that the librarian cliche situation. Mm-hmm. But this is, who is it? Stephen Summers is the yeah. director. And uh, famously the director of Van Helsing. So yes. not, necessarily, <laughs> not necessarily God's gift to cinema. However. I love that movie though. I believe, <laughs> I believe Roger Ebert's review of The Mummy was, I can't in good conscience tell you this is a good film, but I can tell you I enjoyed every minute of it. It's yes. exactly that, that Roger. That is. Yeah, he hit the nail on the head with that. Um, Also, just another thing, which I know Mary Graham will empathize with me about, but for the listeners, when you are translating an ancient language, you do not cite translate into complete sentences. You guesstimate. Especially a language that old. Which, I mean, I haven't seen the film, but I'm also imagining it's like, okay, there's a get Because nothing ever, like, survives right. wholesale. Like, okay, so this part of the stone has been chipped away. So, like, we can only see half of this figure. Right. So, right. okay, it could be one of these three things. Like, I have a very, very extremely basic knowledge of Old English for my English degree. Right. And, like, trying to translate literally anything. It's like, literally, you could say, well, this could be a gift or it could be a hostage. Right. There's really no way for us to know. <laughs> That's what ancient Greek was like. And I feel like watching The Mummy, I was just like, oh, if I translate ancient languages, I'm going to be able to do this. And then I was learning ancient Greek and I was just like, well, no, <laughs> there's too much happening here. <laughs> I love your, what? yeah, so what are, what are your hot takes on The Mummies? Uh, well, the site translation so the and the shelves falling is traumatized. Yeah. Also, I mean, there early 2000s cinema has its problematic aspects and they do definitely exist in the mummy mm-hmm. and you know, things that I realize as like the warden's character in particular is I have, just this not This is like a blank space for he, me. 
I remember Benny, the Weasley guy. Yeah, he's the warden. I don't remember his name, which is unfortunate. I've seen this movie literally over 100 times. But he's just this very, like, smarmy, sleazy guy who's just there for the money. Like, he is pretty much the only person of color in the, like, team there. So his his characterization is very stereotypical. Mm -hmm. Um. So I have to throw that disclaimer out there because I cannot in good faith like blanketly right. recommend this movie. If I were watching it for the first time now without, you know, having years to latch on to the aspects of it that I enjoyed, his character would really, you know, make it not so fun. And I guess it also falls into the like who's going to die first in this horror movie trope. Yeah. So we got to throw that out there right. too. Right. But yeah, I feel like just Evie is a great character. Really latched onto her as a child. Her first name is the same as my middle name. So I was just like, obviously, this was meant for me yes. and me only because that's how kids think. Right. So my introduction to Rachel Weiss, um, she's fantastic. <laughs> I love her. An Academy Award winner by now. Mm-hmm. Incredible actor. Yes. But uh, this is this is her breakout. And yeah, there's, there's some problems in this movie, but it is a total... It's a romp. There I do is. remember watching The Favorite and oh, yeah. like her entire performance and thinking she's so good. And I, I was aware of The Mummy by then. And I was like, I would see her. I would watch her play a, a librarian who studied ancient language. For sure. Yeah, she's such a good, like that whole, the chemistry of all of the characters in that movie works so well. It was definitely Steven Summers at his best. At his best. And we will talk about Van Helsing later. We will definitely talk about Van Helsing. And, uh, <laughs> oh man. But the, the, and I do want to get to the music man, but this is also another trope where it is the, kind of the Indiana Jonesy kind of situation mm-hmm. where Indiana is uh, Indy. Um, Henry uh, is a teacher, not a librarian. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously a very studious person. So, there's something to that where you need, I guess, kind of a route that pulls back to academia, that pulls back to a place of study. Evie is out there being the MVP. Mm-hmm. Indy's out there with a whip and a gun, but at least he's got the brain. Right. It's like when you uh, go adventuring, you got to know what you're looking at. Right. Which, you know, that's <laughs> how we got Noah Wiley's The Librarian. That's the same kind of uh, thing going. This smart person is out in the wild with a... You know, with it again. <laughs> with a gun, I guess, and you know, Cal McLaughlin's there. I don't really remember much, but uh, there's artifacts, and you know, I do think it's cool when reading when books is cool, is what I have to say. <laughs> the librarians are allowed out of their enclosures. Exactly, that's what it is. <laughs> yes. yes, they've gone feral. Right, yes. exactly. Also, the idea that a librarian can look at something and tell you how old it is and like what specific period of time it came right. from without doing any sort of lab testing or right. anything or of like that research, nature. Or like research, like unfortunately. Right. Uh, like while I think I love the like idea that this means the public perception of us is that, you know, we just know things. Right. And we know a lot of things right. and are very smart and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I regret to inform everyone Mostly, I'm just a professional researcher. <laughs> like, actually, not that there's any just about it. Like, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Right. Um, but... Side, sidebar, I always like to say that Dr. Strange's superpower is that he read all the books. That's actually it. That's fair. And he'll tell you that... How, how do you... 
get all this. I just stayed up all night reading books. That is that what he'll tell you. Quite fair. That and that's really how he knows all the tricks. But the uh, coming out of the enclosure, that's the whole thing. We're now allowing librarians to be dashing, uh, <laughs> which as we should because as, we are. As we should because we are. Rachel Weiss is going to let her hair down and Noah Wiley is going to wear a khaki shirt that's unbuttoned at the collar and he's going to look, you know, um, rugged and his hair is going to be tussled and Harrison Ford, it's the whole model is always there. Brandon Fraser. Anyway. Um, any other thoughts to share on the mommy? No, but I'm thinking about changing the way that I dress for work now. <laughs> <laughs> I also like, I do feel like we should maybe have a, a brief chat about like when we are talking about librarian because i personally think that like anyone who does any kind of library work because jeff i know that you sometimes mention on the pod that like you'll say you know i'm not a librarian right but also we couldn't function without you oh, so, yeah. and i mean truly same with you ronnie yeah. uh and so <laughs> i also like do you want to just be sure that like while we're talking about i have no idea what kind of degree evie carnahan has Mary and Peru probably doesn't have one at all. Oh, like degrees yeah. mean nothing, <laughs> not nothing. Yeah, because library work is library work, right? In the movie, I was like waiting to hear what her like formal education was, just out of curiosity because of the time period. And they were like, she inherited all the books, and he I was left like, that... River City, the library <laughs> building, but he left all the books to her. And I was just like, <laughs> I wish, right. That could be me. <laughs> that would I make do, me so happy. I do sometimes find myself, I'll like listen to the soundtrack while I'm taking the bus home and I'll be like, what must that, what power must that give you in collection development? Right. You are the only person who was allowed to weed that collection right. because that is your private property. Which is why she keep, gets to keep Balzac on <laughs> mm -hmm. in like rotation. So I read one of his books. And it was so sad. <laughs> so I don't know why they were so upset about it. There was nothing like, I mean, like I said, it's just one book, but it's probably also the saddest book. It's called Paragorio. It's about this. It just makes me sad. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that just... I do remember getting. So for, for dear listeners who have not seen The Music Man, uh, it, the the film is an adaptation of a Tony Award winning musical yeah. about uh it is set in pre World War One Iowa, um, about a con man. Iowa, Iowa. <laughs> well, we say that, but we don't like other people to <laughs> talk about. So, Roddy has seen the Mummy a hundred times. I don't know how many times I've seen the Music Man, but I can probably do the whole thing with all of the correct like inflections. Nice. It's, it's a long. It's probably a twenty year history between me and this film. Um, but it's it's about a con man who comes to small town Iowa, and his con is that he sells. Uh, he creates a moral panic, and says the solution to all of your problems to keep your your young ones moral after school is that I'm going to start a boys band, and we'll take orders for the musical <laughs> instruments. And his con is that he gets the money for the musical instruments, and then he leaves town before. I mean, there is no band. Right. He can't tell one note from another. <laughs> and uh, and part of the reason he becomes interested in the librarian of this town is because she's also the piano teacher. So he's like, oh, if I'm going to pull this con off, we can't. I can't get let the the piano teacher who can read music figure out that I can't <laughs> and that like this band is not going to happen. Uh, and so his plan is to also just basically seduce her and pull pull one over on her there. Right. The and, film's hero, by the way. <laughs> the yes, protagonist. Right, exactly. Well, because, you know, 
something something his cold dead heart right. he plays himself and falls in love with her for real right and is like well now i'm too attached to her and her quote-unquote kid brother who is her son which was not explained to me until yeah I was, yeah okay because you look at marion's family so she is quote it's like an old maid like she's probably in her late 20s or early 30s and her her Winthrop is like six. Yes. And you look at her mother, who like does look somewhat look old enough to be someone's grandmother. And I spent my entire childhood going, how does the math of that family make sense? And somebody relatively recently was like, Honey, Winthrop is her kid. Like right. is Marion's son. Uh all of it because you get all of this gossip mm-hmm. about, you know, Madison, the guy who left her the books. Right. Basically. Right. Um, which just apparently 1950s audiences got it, but right. seven-year-old yeah. Mary Grime did not. No, um, I was watching that. I was like, that's that's her kid. I was like, why are they doing this? And I was like, oh wait, yeah. <laughs> because it's like 1912 Iowa. <laughs> right. That's why. Yeah, got it. <laughs> um, also just throwing this out there because I have to. I was watching this movie and I was like, this is like a musical inverse of Footloose. Um oh, where it's oh, just yes. like Oh, in Footloose, the moral panic is that the kids shouldn't dance. Here, it's like, we need to get the kids dancing and making music. <laughs> Otherwise, they're just... going to play pool. <laughs> right. And I was just like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> that was my frame <laughs> of reference. And it's not a wrong one. <laughs> what I'm so interested about in, in The Music Man is, first of all, because is the moral panic of it all, mm-hmm. which is not a phrase that I had in my vocabulary until probably the last year or so, but is a really good way to describe, like, first, like, what's happening with book banning right. and censorship mm-hmm. in the country currently, but also things like the satanic panic or right. stranger danger or things like that. Um, you know, where Harold Hill comes in and is like, if your kids are hanging around the pool hall all day, God right. only knows the decay of society, etc. Right. And he doesn't actually believe it, but he knows exactly what's going to work yes. on people. And a song like You've Got Trouble is just so masterful because he's even got the line, now I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. Like, he tells you exactly what you want to hear. Yeah. He's so bad. It's, it's so good. such a good setup and such a good sequence and such a good song mm-hmm. that The Simpsons made an entire episode parodying it, the mm-hmm. whole thing, with a monorail. But um, <laughs> but the the library scenes in particular, like you have the mayor's wife coming mm-hmm. and talking to Marion mm-hmm. in one of my favorite scenes, actually at the library. You know, she says, I, "I found my oldest girl reading the Ruby out of Omar Khayyam," and they just they just get drunk and eat sandwiches all day. <laughs> and and Marion is basically like, "Well, I'm I'm not going to stop checking this out to your daughter." And she does violate professional ethics a little bit because she says, "Well, it's a classic. Wouldn't you rather have your daughter reading a classic than Eleanor Glynn, which right. was kind of smutty poetry?" And as librarians, we are not supposed to judge people's reading choices right. although in 1912 librarianship people absolutely did because right. it... <laughs> wouldn't you rather <laughs> although i do love that the mayor's wife's response is what eleanor glynn reads is her mother's problem right yeah. which is so different than the the moral panic over books of today right, right. which is very like i'm going to control what everyone's children read exactly. yes um and then there's also the scene uh where Harold Hill comes to the library and does the whole Mary and the Librarian song, which is, I have to turn off my brain when I watch that scene, because if that actually happened to me in my actual job, like, I would be heading to the back office to go get probably any of the men who work here to be like, please escort this creep out of yeah. the library. Like, I was watching that and I was like, if they don't get out of the library, they're making so much noise here. Cause like, I mean, they're not making noise, but they are just a disturbance. And I was very upset because I was like, why are they doing this in there? I haven't <laughs> seen the film in a while. I have seen the film a couple times. It has been a while. When I try to conjure any memory of that scene, 
I just imagine the entire scene taking place on top of the tables. I just feel yeah, like that... people are on tables for too long. And I think there's some sort of sliding down banisters. It's yes. the dumb waiter yes. that, that she uses to take the books up to the yeah. different levels. They also slide down basically, the rail on the stairs, too. Yes. Basically, the library becomes like a level of Donkey Kong arcade. Yeah, and I mean, just... and there is chaos to it. And you right. could see her being very uncomfortable at first. And then they do the trope of like, after time, she starts dancing along and stuff, too. And I was like, that's fake. <laughs> I was like, that's not convincing. It also very much has the whole, like, library's obsessed with quiet, because mm-hmm. Harold Hill has the, he's like, I've got a bag of marbles. Right. I think I'll drop them, you know? <laughs> and, and just thinking about, I I mean, I wanted to talk about the Music Man because Marion was probably, like, the cultural touchstone of librarians awesome. in my, you know, youth, etc. I think I imprinted on her the way you did on Evie. Um, And the more I think about it, the more I always liked that, you know, of course, I shouldn't tell you this, but she advocates dirty books. I always liked the idea that like, yeah, she was actually the librarian who would let Mm -hmm. you take out the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though we even see her be like, probably she doesn't have Eleanor Glynn in that library. Right. Right. Um, And I also admit that when I read like Chaucer and Rabelais, in college, I was like, okay, I guess I get why a mayor's wife in 1912 Iowa would be mad about this. But right. guys, there is much more interesting stuff happening. Right. <laughs> I, like the books they were naming, I was like, okay, yes, Shakespeare is full of dirty jokes. But like, do we care? Right. <laughs> the thing is that like Harold Hill does care because that's something that makes him interested in her as a person. Right. Is the idea that like, oh, maybe she has the shady past and maybe she... She does advocate dirty books. Right. Like, oh, she's not just the the little Sunday school teacher children's librarian who also teaches piano. Right. You know? Uh there's that it ties into depth. it ties into that that thing of the mummy where the librarian has to come out of a shell per se. Mm-hmm. Or the library has the librarian has to be won over per se. Right. Well and she takes off her glasses. She, yeah. She and, dances. And <laughs> in fact, with the whole winning over, because like Marion possesses the knowledge to to like rat him out right. because he keeps saying oh you know i i went to this conservatory you know class of aught nine uh or aught six or something and she has the like yearbooks from this place basically right. and is like they didn't have a graduating class until aught nine right so you were lying through your teeth but once he emotionally wins her over she like rips the page out of the book yeah so she does have this like controller of knowledge controller of the narrative sort of function right she kisses the anvil salesman make him late for his train yes like keep him from like it i was like all right is he worth it in my opinion no but i see what you're doing and i respect you that is pretty cool that a a huckster of (laughs) of strategic misinformation is caught by the authority of the librarian to be the fact checker wow She's the authority. She's like the truth police. Well, and even even the, that sounds ominous. Even sorry. at the end, though, it's because he does have to fess up at the end. Right. And even Winthrop, I think, is the one who demands, "Can you lead a band?" Yeah. And he finally tells the truth and says, "No." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's just something about it all that I think is because his any kind of historical fiction like that musical is as much about the 1950s as it is about the 19 teens sure because all i think historical fiction is partially about the time it was produced in as much as the time it's about and so i've been thinking a lot about like that and just what does that tell us if anything about 
cultural perceptions of librarians, but also what we're doing today. Right. You know, what do people think about me when they look at me behind the desk doing my job? Right. Certainly, I hear a lot of parents telling their kids, you know, Shh, you're being too loud when they are doing totally normal indoor voices. <laughs> yeah. And, at, and it's like, you don't have to whisper back here, guys. Yeah. At the at the search desk, there are so many times where I have to tell people like, hey, especially now because we're all in mass. I'm like, you can you can talk to me like at a normal yeah. tone. I like, actually desperately need you to speak <laughs> up because between the glass panes right. around my desk and the fact that we're like masked both ways, which again, thank you. I feel very safe. Right. Uh, just need you to project just a little bit. Yeah, my right. ears are exceptional, but like not that, not that good. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are, you guys are a desk saying, use your stage voice. <laughs> Basically, project. Project. <laughs> um, speaking of voices, just side note appreciation uh, to Robert Preston for just being a living Muppet character. He uh, really basically is. Basically straight cartoon voice guy. Oh my God. Yeah. Folks, listen. Hey. <laughs> Can I have your attention, please? Attention, please. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she definitely went through the whole like hair. I mean, metaphorically hair yeah. down, glasses, glasses off. off. Glasses off did happen. I was just like, oh, so she can see now. Like I take my glasses off all the time, but I, there are repercussions right. to that <laughs> that I, take I suffer. My glasses off when I go to sleep at night, and that is it. <laughs> right. right. Like, so give me give me my hot women in glasses moment. Right. Let cinema. Them stay. Stop doing me dirty like Not this. Not everybody wants to wear contacts. No. These are two. These are two. Still, at the end of the day, positive, inspirational librarian yes. Yes. depictions. Yes. And I think we could take a fork here and go with in still yet inspirational or disappointing. We could go. I think we want to bring in, you know, Burgess Meredith, often from the Twilight Zone. Yes. Or we could go into. It's a wonderful life. I think I want to go with it. it's a wonderful oh, life. It's a wonderful life is so disappointing. That... Oh my god. Oh, no. And I mean, so Marion at the start of The Music Man does play into the spinster, too, mm -hmm. a bit is the idea right. of like, oh, women only become librarians when they have no one to love them. <laughs> but <laughs> although I look at Marion and I'm like, well, that's a stable source of income for right. you, the kid that you're lying about being your younger brother and your mother. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, that's the whole thing. Of, you. The um, idea of the sexy librarian is predicated She's on single. the librarian is lonely and yes. available right um, <laughs> because of course any any woman right. who's not already attached to a man is just fair pickings <laughs> um <laughs> which is like i should be clear a problem that feminine presenting people in library work today still constantly have oh yeah um but yeah so in it's a wonderful life which i haven't i've only seen once because yeah, i watched here. it and was like why um <laughs> literally say there's a really there's a uh, pop culture happy hour talked about it uh on npr at the end of last year and glenn weldon god bless is the curmudgeon that i often wish i was sure and it has his whole little curmudgeonly thing about like i'm here to be a curmudgeon and tell you i don't care for this movie <laughs> and the main reason i mean that i kind of resent it's a wonderful life is exactly that is that like you know is it mary is it's yes. the wife's name. You know, it's like, oh, if her if her husband hadn't existed, oh no, she would have been a single sad spinster librarian. Right. 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 As if I have not been a single spinster librarian and had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I this is a tangent from librarians, but I came to that movie with the idea of it being a Christmas movie involving an angel. And if you 
do want to watch it for that, you should know, spoiler, that it's a two-hour movie, and none of that happens until at least an hour and 40 it's minutes like into the movie. 20 like minutes the end of the, movie. Of the film. Come on. Yeah, it's it's just, just not satisfying. That movie is such a drag. Right. And I was just like, why? Why do we care about this movie this much? Is it much? a wonderful life? It's is it? not. <laughs> or, were, uh, or did we just... Seeing it every year because of the public domain, it eventually just hypnotizes us <laughs> that's, that's into believing. Fair. Like, I mean, this is where I'll just stand up on little soapbox and say stuff should go into public domain sooner so that we're not left with scraps. Like, it's a wonderful life. <laughs> Great Gatsby. Oh, boy. Sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> sorry. Just had to throw that out there. Anyway, sorry. Not on, not the topic. But yeah, I watched that movie once when I was very young. So if you tell me things about that movie, I most likely won't remember. I do remember that aspect. And I was like, mm, no. Right. Also, well, the well, idea that like librarians are somehow timid, like even the ones who haven't been let out of their enclosure right. are somehow like timid or easily frightened. Dear people, we work with the public. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I don't like. I just I generally have positive interactions sure. with the public. I. Hooray for neighbors. Please sure. come in and use our library. Right. But also the things we have seen. Exactly. I will see librarians unflinchingly stare danger in the face <laughs> with oh, yeah. no compunction oh, yeah. whatsoever. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> the look of Mary in those sequences is like a frightened cat. They yes. put a little tight hat on her. They tie her hair up. She she's just, got she, glasses suddenly. She's got glasses. Her, because the, not being able to see is just an indication. She slumps her shoulders. She's just insular. She's, yeah, she, I hate the whole notion that like <laughs> your whole life would be horrible if you didn't have this man there. <laughs> your your eyesight would be bad, and you'll be yeah. sad. That's the first. What, what has your man done for your eyesight? <laughs> right. Nothing. He's not a carrot. Like that doesn't do anything. <laughs> Sorry. I gotta say, my eyesight when I've been single, when I've been partnered, is equally bad. <laughs> right. Sorry. That that's the, so bad. <laughs> that's the first presumption is that she. Who, who would she be without this man? She mm -hmm. clearly wouldn't be a full person. Mm -hmm. uh, she clearly would not have found anyone else except for George if George didn't come along. She'd stay low. Oh, and she'd be a librarian. Right. Just... Like fate oh. worse than death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that movie. But if we go more into the inspirational um, defender of of truth and information that's a, that's that burgess meredith yes, episode where i believe he's on trial almost yes which is it is called so... the obsolete man sorry this is yeah. my wheelhouse let's just talk about this the twilight zone, <laughs> the burgess, twilight meredith. zone. burgess meredith uh my end to twilight zone was a episode sorry i'm just teeing up the fact that burgess meredith was in like six plus episodes uh -huh. or something uh my my inroad was a episode called all the time in the world where he just wanted to read his books. And it, I think I remember kind of a... He is a banker. That's right. Who talks to everyone who comes up to his like desk, kiosk or whatever, about the books that he's reading. And he just loves it so much. And his wife is overbearing, you know, very bored by him. His boss is just like, you need to start working and stop talking about books. Do you want me to keep talking there's about like, this there, episode? There's like an Omega Man. Isn't he like the last person on, yes. on the planet? So this and now is what all, happens. He just has his books. It's just him. He is sent down to the, um, the safe. Right. And uh, a bomb drops a nuclear bomb or something like that something mm -hmm. like there is total fallout but not entirely gonna get to that rod serling was doing some interesting things this is the eighth episode of the first season 
I really love this show. So I he love, is I in love, the like, scene. The, the, the Tom Lehrer, we will all go together when we go, except for this one guy. Right. Who now can read all of his books. Like. Right. That's what you think. But what happens is he walks out the safe, sees that books are still intact. There's still canned food. This is why me and Rod Serling need to have a talk someday. I'll find a medium somewhere. And... He's just like, I'm going to read all these books. But the thing about him, and we will relate to this, he wears glasses. And he has a very, very strong prescription. Oh, no. And as he is about to settle down to read these books for the rest of his life. Here comes the nightmare fuel. His glasses break. No. When I watched this episode, it was New Year's Eve. I think... Was it 2004? It was about to be 2005 or something. I remember this. I was on my way to a sleepover and I was cleaning the living room and watching the Twilight Zone marathon on the sci-fi channel. It was still spelled S-C-I-F-I. And I just stood there, broom in my hands, no longer sweeping, just watching this happen. And when his glasses broke, I burst into tears. (laughs) I was just like, oh, my God, (laughs) this is horrible. And then I proceeded to watch the rest of the very I went over my friend's house and like walked up to their mom and was just like, do you guys have the sci fi channel? Because there's this marathon happening. And it's been like that for me ever since. It's a great inroad episode. Also, spoiler alert for TV that is 61 years old. So, yeah, I mean, um, I guess (laughs) so. But this other episode is uh, is intense. And he's he's a librarian in this situation. It is. And it's also dystopic. Yes, it is a almost said post-apocalyptic. There is no apocalypse. It's just a dystopian society where they are. There's this chancellor, this high guy who just like is like, I'm going to oversee things. And if things are deemed obsolete or thereby unnecessary to society, we will get rid of them. So they've gotten rid of certain books they've gotten rid of religion completely and things like that and then you get Burgess Meredith who's this librarian who is just like I am going to be a beacon of truth and knowledge and things like that and he, I am he not. realizes the stakes let's yes. just say he realizes the he's stakes. like I'm not obsolete essentially and he and the chancellor have this conversation before he's set to be put to the death and they're just having there is literally just Almost the entire episode is the two of them just talking and having this conversation. And Burgess Meredith's character is just putting him through the ringer, like, logically. Like, he's just going in, and it turns out he still has a copy of the Bible, which is illegal. He's not supposed to have it and things like that. And I guess another spoiler alert for an old, old show. Very old. Um, He's basically just like... By the way, there's a bomb set to go off in this room that will kill both of us. And you just have to accept that because with the way society is now, if somebody tries to intervene and save the chancellor, they have thereby like shown that the their power, like their rules, they won't abide by them. So like they can't save him. But then, you know, this guy turns out is not ready to die for what he believes in. And he just has this line where he goes like, in the name of God, open the door. And they're like, aha. <laughs> Aha, the religion gotcha you gotta die mm-hmm. essentially and uh Burgess Meredith's character still dies but he's kind of like proven his point essentially and it is such a good episode of such a fantastic show I don't remember which season that one is though is I was gonna season? say 
Twilight Zone will put on a free clinic for anyone who wants to know how to write short stories. Yes. <laughs> there is. I could talk about that show forever. <laughs> so I'm going to stop now. But yes. Mary Graham, do you have any other librarians <laughs> on your mind? I want to talk about Tammy too from oh, yeah. Parks and Recreation. <laughs> nice. She's here. Um, because I think that Tammy too is an interesting... She takes certain ideas of librarians and turns them up to 11. <laughs> the problem, not even, it's not even a problem. They're not exactly wrong, the writers of Parks and Rec. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're like all man-eating viragos. However, um, in, actually in the <laughs> body, you looked away like we aren't. I don't get that memo. I've not watched Parks and Recreation, so there was a lot of questions that ran uh, through my mind. That's well, I'm sorry. I keep forgetting that some people haven't seen Parks and Rec. <laughs> the sitcom that is more relevant to my life than any other piece of TV I've watched. Um for any other listeners who might not have seen Parks and Recreation, uh, it is it is about the Parks Department in fictional Pawnee, Indiana, although I have it on good authority that Pawnee is likely based on Evansville, which is in the south of Indiana. Um, and uh, it's small, small city, small town government. Um, and the... The show is is predominantly about the Parks Department and the head of the Parks Department, Ron Swanson, who's a libertarian who doesn't believe in government, which is why he works in government to stop the government from spending money, uh, has several ex-wives, both of whom are named Tammy. So there's Tammy 1 and Tammy 2. And Tammy 2 works at the Pawnee Public Library <laughs> and, uh, and is, is played by Nick Offerman plays Ron Swanson and his actual wife, Megan Mullally, plays Tammy 2, which makes it even funnier if you ask me because she is constantly trying to get Ron back mm. in this very terrifying and sexual way <laughs> that Ron often like totally falls for and then has to be brought back to his senses about. Um, Again, so, sexy librarian. That's exactly the thing though, is right. that she takes the sexy librarian sort of idea and instead of it being like, oh, she's just this like kind of pure never been married woman or whatever who's available she's like i have made myself available and i'm about to make that everyone else's problem <laughs> uh, and, but the first uh, the first episode that she appears in um you you learn from leslie that everyone in parks hates the library uh because there apparently can only be room for one city department that's doing a public good. <laughs> and it's either got to be free parks or free books. And actually, to an extent, that is true because they have a city budget that they have to fight over. She's sure. like, parks is constantly competing with libraries for money, which not here in Ferndale because we're an area district library in many, many, many places. Yeah. That wow. is a problem a um, that libraries constantly have to fight with the city to get funding. Support your local libraries, everyone. Um, mm -hmm. So there's this like very based in reality rivalry already between Leslie and Tammy too. Uh, and when Leslie goes to see her, something about a, a deed or some funding or something like that, Tammy says, oh, hi, Leslie, it's so nice to meet you. I did look up your record and you do have a 38 cent fine on your account. And Leslie like starts throwing quarters at her and is like, here's your stupid money. This is why everyone hates the library. And <laughs> the actual, again, kernel of truth in that is that right. fines are bad. Right. Fines are bad and they are inequitable for access. Right. And <laughs> when I recently watched that episode, I was like, 
Leslie's right, though. That is why people hate the library. And <laughs> we are fine free. We and are. we are fine, fine, fine free here in Ferndale. Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and then Tammy's like, no, no, I'm just kidding. I forgave the fine. Don't worry about it. But there is, and it does turn out that, I mean, she's the worst, but right. she's so much fun to watch be the worst. <laughs> but before you know she's the worst, you know, there is still that, like, the idea or the fear that, like, librarians are looking into your records and they see they see that you broke the rules and they see that you didn't bring your stuff back and they are going to financially punish you for the failure to you know round up every picture book that you brought home last week for your child yeah (laughs) um so i just i just think that that's that's really funny and the librarian part of her job becomes less important the more she's on the show it's more about her history with Ron, although at one point they do briefly get remarried and her co-workers make her a library card that says Tammy Swanson Swanson. And there's part of me that's like, what kind of fancy library cards do you people have that your actual name is on them? That like, is funny. <laughs> um, but I, I think that she's a very interesting case of, you know, the librarian not as some mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, talk about feral librarian. Right. right. Tammy, too, is definitely <laughs> one interpretation of that. Um and uh, it's, it's yeah, sort of take the, the general librarian tropes and make them kind of frightening. Right now. Uh, go ahead, Roddy. No, I'm sorry. I'm going to talk about another TV show. Oh, man. I'll just throw in really quickly. Um, and I feel like this is, I feel like I should have saved this one for the end. But I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, it, the, the thing about tropes is that they are just that. They are tropes. And tropes are usually tired or old or outdated perceptions. I hope we get some librarians on screen who are ready to talk about you know ebooks or databases or audiobooks the number of things that happen here in a given week that make me think where is my sick where is my workplace sitcom about a library like written by people who've been on library staff right like literary sitcom very I do actually. <laughs> I do. I want my A plot in circulation and my B plot to be what's happening with summer reading. I want a cold open based on something that happened here where someone hung a coat hook too high and the amount of laughter we got out of that Absolutely. was truly cold open Absolutely. levels of laughter. But so. I was going to say my, one of the other librarians I wanted to bring up was an animated character from a TV show. And I'll let you segue into your TV show. But my TV show is Bob's Burgers, which is an animated show. <laughs> And Mr. Ambrose is the librarian. Mr. Ambrose is very eccentric and flamboyant and tends to scream at children sometimes and has is an admitted witch. Um, so there's that idea of the librarian is secretive or, uh, again, eccentric. But the one thing about that librarian that is always kind of a flat note is he's often commenting on the, um, the obsolescence of the library and the obsolescence mm-hmm. of books as a joke which Rude. is fine because it's a cartoon but again that's why i want these future librarians to talk about mm-hmm. ebooks yeah. we, we don't scream at children here at ferndale no we are very nice yeah, well, you, just, you, you have <laughs> to guess, meet louise if you've never watched bob's burgers okay she's my favorite character i guess it's more accurate that he hisses it yeah anyway <laughs> then you might understand why he acts the way he does <laughs> he's, he's very much like like he's been saddled with this he's like yeah. whatever take the books out yeah and he also yeah it's also voiced by Billy Eichner. Um, <laughs> so so uh, there's that. Who also appears on Parks and Rec. Who also appears on... So, what was your TV show? Uh, Avatar The Last Airbender. Whoa. There is a spirit library... Nice. ...that we need to talk about just very briefly. I think is this where the meme comes from the 
the character saying to the library very excitedly so. yeah maybe okay. i need to look at the meme to tell you if it's from that specific listeners episode. i'll pull it up while she continues um so there is a lot there is a spirit librarian named Wan Shi Tong, who is voiced by Hector Elizondo. Nice. Great voice. And he runs the Spirit Library. He is an owl, and he has basically just been collect building this collection for, like, millennia. I don't remember how old he is. I'm not going to lie. But he has hidden his library. Yes, that is him. That is the Spirit Librarian owl. Um, from humans because they kept using his information for warfare and violence. And he was like, I'm not for that. But he allows Team Avatar to come into the library with the like one thing being that they have to contribute something to his collection because he's been building this collection for like eons. And he's so cool. And the minute, the minute (laughs) that he realizes that one of the characters does in fact want to use the information that he has for violence like the wrath of the spirit library rains down upon them there's this huge chase scene but my point in bringing him out not just to talk about avatar the last airbender is that i really enjoyed that presentation of the library and of this old wizen timeless being that is just amassing information sheerly for the love of it. And I was just like, I could get behind this representation of librarians. It's such it's a, a great episode. Very specific patron behavior policy. Yeah. <laughs> you must contribute something. And if I catch you using this for warfare, I will then get violent with you because I don't like violence. There's questions to be asked there, but um, great character. A- quote jumped into my head from that anecdote from Doctor Who, I believe, saying something about books being the best weapon in the world. You want a weapon? Mm. We're in a library. Right. Books. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doc- well, that's a whole other thing. Um, did we did we want to give a shout out to the uh, gent from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer as well? Oh, oh that guy. Yeah. So um, here's the thing. I haven't seen that in a very long time, but it was like my mom's absolute favorite. So like when people were still regularly buying, she still has those DVD sets in plastic. Wow. <laughs> They've been wrapped the entire time. But I do just remember seeing Giles and just being like, it's cool sending these children off to die. But <laughs> I, I never fight. watched Buffy, but I think that's the actor who plays Rupert on Ted Lasso, who's a terrible human. And so every time I see him, I'm like, librarian guy from show I've never seen? Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> he, right. That's he's right. Just there giving these teenagers advice to go fight off these monsters, which also turns into relationship advice and personal advice at times. But he's also just like guiding them through like how, if I'm remembering correctly, to battle mm-hmm. these vampires and other mm-hmm. such mm-hmm. monsters and things like that. So he's the wizen guide, which, you know, I mean, once if, again, you, if you do want your lore. The library is a good place to come for lore. Honestly, it is. And you know how many books about vampires we got back here? How many ebooks about vampires they could access if we write this into our sitcom? Listen, yes. Can, oh, that's a great 
it's just such a good idea for a plot line is like convincing someone who is like no all the only real books are, are books and paper look at all of these vampire books we have electronically right how do i download libby right like- right uh quick shout out um because we got to wrap up soon but um Brooks Hatlin is the character from Shawshank Redemption, is also an elderly librarian. Yes. And just to quickly summarize, the library in that movie is is portrayed as a place to be stuck away, a place that prisoners aren't really going to, a place that's mm-hmm. a place you can hide, mm-hmm. which is again unfortunate. Um, the one positive about that library sequence in The Music Man is there's a lot of people. There's yes. so many, and there's so many the kids there. Yes. Yes. Like Which the is... number of young people in River City, Iowa, who are like, let's spend this hot summer day in a library that almost definitely doesn't have air conditioning because it's 1912. Right. Yes. But what else are we going to do? Stay at home where our parents are? Like, <laughs> I, I'm a big believer in I it. I did enjoy that aspect of it. I yeah. was like, this is. Um, I think the the podcast Christmas special should just be Mary Graham reciting every line in succession from the Music Man, just doing a two hour podcast. Um, it's it would be a better Christmas special than having a wonderful life on air every year. Burn oh exactly gosh. that, exactly that. Um, quick quick also rundowns. Uh, there's a famous sequence in a famous library sequence in the Ghostbusters, of course. Um, oh, the follow? movie has to open with scaring a delicate flower who is a librarian which um, dear listeners i can tell you that ghostbuster costumes exist here on the premises of the ferndale area yes. district library and yes, i do. have seen them round about halloween in use and <laughs> no one here is a delicate flower yeah. no that's true also i think the, any of us could find a ghost if we had yeah to. honestly i feel like the last thing like we would care about in this library is a ghost <laughs> with can all the just, other things can that you go just on imagine us like five minutes past closing time we know we've cleared all of the human patrons out but there's still something banging around in the attic we would be like it is Five minutes past close. Get it out. Time to go home. <laughs> Somebody would grab, I don't know, a broom or something. Oh, yes. And be yes. like, it is past closing hours. You can come back and haunt the library in the morning. We are open. <laughs> Just take the broom bristles and agitate their ectoplasm. We are basically writing a book, a series right now because this, like, fantastical library where humans come in during the day and then you know our ghosts and vampires come in at night right and you know it's great right and we're going to talk about this more (laughs) because and then another quick thing is there's a movie in the 90s called party girl with um parker posey and she is a party girl who winds up getting part-time job at a library and that is it's that juxtaposition of this early 20-something, mid-20s, 20-something, mm-hmm. coming into this quiet, staid, sterile place. And who knows, maybe it'll help her make order of her chaotic life. But it is like Gen X coming into like a boomer situation. And, and it's all that. But I guess I just want to say that of all the library cliches we've thrown out, um, it's like some of them are accurate, but they aren't at the same time. Right. Like yeah. the, I mean, like the whole order thing. So I haven't seen Party Girl. Right. But, you know, as, as someone who's doing a lot of work, I'm in charge of the children's nonfiction section, doing a lot of work in it right now, thinking about how it's organized and stuff like that. On the one hand, yeah, like we think about order a lot. On the other hand, you ever been in here at the end of a Saturday? Right. Like you should come look at the shelves right. and like they are six ways to Sunday. Right. A mess. And it's because people are using them. Right. Which is we love libraries are meant to be used (laughs) um and so yeah i often sort of think that like 
folks who were writing librarians went to the library a couple times as a child and mm-hmm. haven't really been back. Yeah. And certainly don't know people who work in them. Right. Because the la- I mean, there are some distinguished people who work here, but we are also some of the goofiest people I have ever been in close contact with. Some of the most distinguished people are also the goofiest. They are. In mm-hmm. fact, we are probably thinking of the same person. <laughs> so like, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, they need to spend more time around libraries and see who's actually working here. Because Which would be are... great because we love to have you. Yes. Yeah, I think libraries are loud, can be loud. Uh, librarians are not wilting flowers. Um, I do like the intrepid, you know, the, the idea of the intrepid librarian mm-hmm. getting more mm-hmm. screen time. Yes. Mm-hmm. And promoting electronic resources because why not? <laughs> yeah. While we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry are you on the go on your way to go translate an ancient dead language in a foreign land you're going to download some ebooks to your phone from Libby right. yeah. read offline anytime right. <laughs> basically <laughs> right uh, right. I want to see an Evie Carnahan with like a, a, a t- whipping out a tablet or just like connecting to the Wi-Fi. Or being at some like point. no don't worry guys I did mango languages for right. like six months so yeah. like I can order us dinner here <laughs> That's uh, an important skill is to be able to order dinner in listen, ancient Greek. <laughs> listen, though. Maybe not in ancient. Maybe it's in modern Greek. That's true. Maybe they're like, we've done the book learning for the ancient Greek. But it's important when you travel abroad to be able to ask and for and receive the food That is like. very true. Mm-hmm. But I would like to order a pizza in Sanskrit at least once in my life. Well, have Just... you lived if you haven't? <laughs> Libraries are always the MVP. Always the MVP in any adventure. So bring a librarian, I guess. <laughs> Call your library if you're out trying to, I don't know, raid an ancient tomb. Save Call us. Adventure and take a librarian instead. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. There you go. Bypass the adventure or take a librarian. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my chat with Mary Graham Hunter and Roddy Brown. Always love having them on the podcast. And I think we have many, many, many more librarians that we could probably get to in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening to this informed analysis of fictional librarians. It's another episode of A Little Too Quiet, the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the friends of the Ferndale Library. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each episode is by a local musician, John Duffy. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, leave a comment, or tell a friend about us. If you enjoyed this chat, or if you have friends who are librarians who have maybe brought up similar quibbles with fictional librarians, share this episode to social media. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks for listening.